You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning, Grace family and friends. We are so glad that you are choosing to worship with us this morning, whether you're watching this live or whether you're watching this as a recording later on in the day or even later on this week. So normally in this portion of the service or even later on in the service, we would have some highlights, some information that we would walk through together about things that are going on in the life of our church. And we're choosing not to do that in the usual way this morning. Those will be uh, located, that information will be found in some slides that are going to roll at the end of this today. So we would encourage you to stick around once the, the formal part of our service is over so that you can have access to that information. Because right now, my friends, there's something that has happened in the life of our church family that we need to talk about here for a little bit. So many of you are probably aware of this, but for those of you who are not aware, on Friday, Grant Fisher, who is part of our church family here, tragically lost his life in an auto accident. And obviously, this has uh, enormous implications for his family, his wife, Caitlin, little Ella Grace, their baby, and of course, Matt and Rhonda Patrick, who are two of our pastors here at Grace, and the Fisher family. Just so many impacted by this tragedy, and our hearts are broken, and um, we just hurt as a church family and as individuals. And so we wanted to call your attention to this so that you can be praying um, for Caitlin, for Matt and Rhonda, for the Fisher family, for all those who are impacted by this, and of course, when something like this happens, one of our first responses, which is a good response, is how, what can I do? How can I help? And we would encourage you to continue to reaching out to the Patricks, to Caitlin, um, letting them know that you love them and that you hurt with them and are praying for them. We have set up a, um, a meals ministry um, for them, and you, being you, as a church family, all those slots have already filled up. So if we choose to extend that time, we will make that available once again, and others of you can have a chance to provide a meal for them. But right now, we would just like to deliberately stop and pause and and pray for them, and then prepare to enter into our time of worship together. So would you um, allow us, allow me to pray for us and to pray for them. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our God, and we thank you that you tell us to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. And Lord, as a church family, we mourn the loss of Grant. Lord, we thank you that he knew you, that he loved you, and that because of that, he is with you. But our hearts are broken um, for his wife, for his child, for the Patricks, Lord, we pray that you would be their strength, that you would be their hope, that as they grieve and as they miss them, that they will find you in the midst of this and that we as a church family would love them and would reach out to them and would stand with them and by them. And I know that that will be true of this church family. And Lord, this morning now as we choose to worship you and to renew our trust in you, and to choose to believe you and respond to you, we pray that you will help us do that by the power of your spirit, that we would truly offer a sacrifice of praise here this morning. 
And so, God, we commit this time to you. We commit these families to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we now enter into this time of music worship, Pastor Sarah and the team have selected these songs very intentionally and with great care. And we want to encourage you that you worship how the Spirit leads you to worship here this morning. If you just need to let these words wash over you, you, need, you just want to think about them, let them sink deeply, that's just as much as an expression of worship as is actually singing along. So however the Spirit guides and leads you this morning, let's worship this God together. Lord, that is our prayer. Let our focus be you. Let it be Jesus. We thank you that you offer life now. You offer life in the life to come. And Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. So we ask, Lord, that as we now turn to your word, that you would speak into our hearts and lives, that you would give us hope, you would give us perspective, you would speak into our lives so that we can know you better and be more like you. Would you help us to believe you? Would you help us to trust you? Lord, would you make us into the people and the community that you call us and make us to be? And we ask this in Jesus' name, in your name, Lord, amen. Well, thank you so much, worship team and Tally. It's so beautiful to see you sign and to be able to enjoy that, that worship as well. So my friends, we continue on in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew. And now we come to a passage that uh, is one of these passages that has been very challenging to me. It's been very instructive for me. I've learned a lot, but it's been very challenging for me as well. So actually, it's been a challenging week for me, and I know it has obviously been a challenging week for a number of you, and it's been a challenging weekend. Yesterday was um, Jay McKinney's memorial service, and I know that a number of you were able to watch the stream of that online, and that, again, was so meaningful to the family for you to do that, and it was a huge privilege for me to get to be a part of that service. I always consider that a privilege when I get to be a part of sharing and remembering someone's life, but especially in the case of Jay McKinney. He was not only our worship pastor here at Grace for a season, but he was a friend, and many of us are connected to him and his family, loved him, and so to be able to share in his life was very significant. But I had a very interesting experience yesterday as part of that service. And this is a reality that, that maybe you're not aware of, and that's okay, because you're not here to see it and experience it. But with the service yesterday, and really every service we've been doing in this season of COVID, when we've been doing a live stream, there is a lot of work that goes into pulling off this kind of, of experience. Um, there's about 10 folks here every Sunday who are um, running cameras and running the soundboard and moderating um, the discussion online and switching cameras and directing things. I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into um, what you see here on any given morning for anything really that is streamed and that was certainly the case yesterday. So for those of us who were involved in the memorial, we were asked to be there about an hour and a half before the service started in order to walk through transitions, in order to walk through, hey, this is where you stand, this is what you're gonna need to be about, this is what you need to be involved with. 
And so because of a family commitment on that side of town, I was unable to come to the production rehearsal when I needed to. So they were just going to try to squeak me in at the end there because that's just the way things had to be. But as it so worked out, I was able to change some of those family plans and actually be there when I was supposed to be there. So I show up um, to this church and they have a check-in system much like we do here necessarily at Grace in this season of COVID. So I go to the check-in station and I'm talking to the usher slash security person and um, I say who I am and they have a list there of everyone who's RSVP'd and everyone who should be there for the production rehearsal and he starts going down the list and he says, what's your name again? And I said, yeah, it's, it's Jay Messenger. And he said, oh, okay, you're not on the list. And I said, oh, imagine that. Well, that's okay, but I, I am one of the pastors and, and I am gonna be participating in the service. And he said, well, you're not on the list. And at this point, it's beginning to get a little amusing. Like, I wasn't frustrated, but it's like, okay, I know I'm not on your list, but, but I really am part of this service. And you know, part of me is thinking, okay, who goes around town masquerading as a pastor trying to get into memorial services just to try to get in the door? It's like, I really am who I say I am. And finally, another usher comes over and they say, oh yeah, I recognize this guy's name. I, he is part of the service. Go ahead and let him in, thankfully. So I got to go in for the rehearsal and got to be part of the service. But it was a very interesting experience. And it immediately took me to this passage that we're in this morning. Because this passage is all about identity and expectations. As we're going to see as we read this passage Jesus and John the Baptist, for that matter, were not meeting people's expectations, in part because they still didn't fully understand the identity of both. And I wonder how many of us are sometimes frustrated with God, disappointed with God, angry with God, because he's not meeting our expectations. And so if you've ever found yourself in that spot, maybe you're in that spot for whatever reason this morning, this is a passage for you. Because that's where this passage is gonna go. Jesus is going to be speaking to the people, the religious leaders, not only about his and John the Baptist's identity, but about expectations. And this really is quite fundamental to what it means to following Jesus. So once again, we're gonna be looking at what does it mean to follow Jesus, especially when it comes to our expectations. And we talked about this a little bit in my Facebook sermon preview this week. What does God expect of us? And what do you expect of God? Well, that's where we're gonna go this morning. So this is Matthew chapter 11 verses one through 19, and let's look at this amazing passage together, and as we do so here, remember, if you were with us last week, Gabe took us through the passage prior to this, the disciples had been sent out on a very specific mission to the people of Israel to tell them the good news about who Jesus is and to perform all these miracles because he's imparted his authority to them, so while they're out doing all this, Jesus is making a swing once again through these cities and towns that ring Galilee, and that's now where we enter this story. So after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, 
Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and to report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. And I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, and this is from Malachi chapter 3, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To whom can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say, he has a demon. And the son of man came eating and drinking and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Now, my friends, I typically spend quite a bit of time studying and preparing for our time in the Word. And I can tell you that I put in extra time on this passage because there's so many things here I just don't understand and we really don't have a full understanding of. I've got 20 pages of sermon notes and 10 different commentaries I look through trying to do business with some of the things here. But there is a very clear message that we can understand. So let's begin to work our way through this passage and once again, what it means to follow Jesus. So it tells us that John was in prison and that should jump out to us. That's not a normal occurrence, right? Why was John the Baptist in prison? Well, if you want the full story, if you fast forward, To Matthew chapter 14, you'll get the full details, but I'll give you the J notes here, the Cliff Notes version, the short version. John, being a truth teller, looked at Herod, who was the regional ruler at the time, and spoke truth publicly about him. And here was the truth. This really was what was happening. Herod decided to divorce his current wife so that he could then marry the wife of his brother. She divorced Herod's brother, and then they got married. And if that wasn't wrong enough, she happened to also be Herod's niece. Talk about all kinds of wrong. And everybody knew it, and John the Baptist called it what it was. And for his efforts, Herod, to shut him up, threw him into prison. And now at this point, John the Baptist has been languishing in prison for months, cut off from all people, assumably, except his disciples. 
And so he sends his disciples to Jesus with really a question of the heart. Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? And so here's John in prison, languishing for months, beginning to doubt if Jesus truly was the Messiah. And can we blame him? The discouragement he must have felt doing what he was supposed to be doing, speaking the truth, preparing the way for the Messiah, for Jesus, and yet he's thrown in prison for his troubles, and he begins to wonder, are you the one? Clearly he's discouraged. He may have even been depressed. We, we don't know. But this is what we do know. He's not quite sure about the identity of Jesus. And my friends, I think this is something that touches our hearts and speaks very relevantly into your life and mine. There will become seasons, and maybe this is one of them now, quite frankly, where you are discouraged and doubting the Lord. And what we learn from this passage is to steer into that, not deny it, but to steer into it through faith. John models something profoundly important to us. What does he do with his doubts and his discouragements? He takes them to Jesus himself. He goes to Jesus and basically says, I'm doubting, I'm discouraged, and I'm wondering, are you really who you say you are? When you're wrestling with God, when you're doubting God, when you're disappointed by God, when you're discouraged, where do you go with that? You know, one of the incredible life-giving realities of God's Word is that God's Word never tells us to pretend things are better than they really are. When we're hurting, when we're doubting, when we're discouraged, we are to go to God with those things. In fact, John also models something else here. He clearly told his disciples, since he was in prison and couldn't go himself, his disciples make what most scholars believe was at least a 100-mile journey to go find Jesus, multi-day, possibly multi-week journey. But he leaned on his community as well. He shared his doubts with his disciples. And there's a lot there for us. We go to God with those things. We also share those as a community. That's not a lack of faith. That's not sin. It's, it's part of choosing to follow Jesus. And this is so enormously validating to me because if John the Baptist can struggle with doubt and discouragement being who he was with the endorsement that Jesus gives him in this very passage, then that means in my spiritual journey, in my relationship with the Lord, when I come up against doubt and discouragement, that's okay. What matters is what I do with them. Don't deny them. Take them to God. Take them to his people because we need each other as a community. So we look at this exchange here, and there's something very important that's lacking in this passage, and that's Jesus' response. What is lacking there? Let's look at it. There's no rebuke, there's no condemnation, there's no judgment of John's discouragement or doubt. In fact, he does the most profoundly significant thing he can do. He speaks to it. And notice how he speaks to it. He does not say, oh, John, it's okay that you're struggling. 
I really am who I say I am. Now, that would have been meaningful, and he could have done that, but I think he does something even more fundamental, even more reassuring, even more important. I think he speaks directly to what John needed to hear, and he does that by giving him the word. Because what Jesus says here is a reference back to multiple passages in the Old Testament. This reaches back to Isaiah chapter 29. This reaches back to Isaiah 35. This reaches back to Isaiah 61. And he basically says, John, what are you hearing and what are people seeing? What are your disciples telling you? The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, dead are raised, good news is proclaimed to the poor. There's only one person in all of human history who can do that and who did do that, and that person is the Messiah. Jesus reassures him by telling him his identity. This is what is happening. This is what I'm doing because of who I am am. And so, again, I think this is instructive for us, too. Following Jesus means remembering and applying God's Word. There are too many of us who get our perspective from the daily news cycle. There are too many of us who get our perspective from those around us. There are too many of us who get our perspective from sources other than the Word of God. And yes, those things have their place, but the foundation for us is the Word of God. And Jesus models that to us. Now, in all fairness, the Gospel of Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, so it has more Old Testament quotations than any of the other three Gospels. Because this is a Jewish audience. Jesus is directly connecting the dots, and Matthew, in representing Jesus' life and ministry, is deliberately connecting the dots to the Old Testament so his Jewish readers who would know or hearers who would know all these passages would know definitively that Jesus really was the Messiah. But parking that for a minute, in all the Gospels, Jesus goes back to the Word of God constantly. He models that for us. And we have to remember that. Are you going consistently to the Word of God for perspective, for hope, for encouragement for the things that are happening in your daily life. It needs to be part of the rhythm of our daily lives is going to the Word of God. And so, as you follow this passage, and this is one of those things that I camped out on and researched, it's just one of those many things in this passage that makes you scratch your head. So Jesus gives this profound encouragement to John's disciples that they presumably leave and take back to him. And as they're leaving, assumably, now Jesus is saying this to the crowd, and he says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Why would he say that? And, and it's a tough one because the, the word that is used here for stumble is the word in our English language that we get scandalized from. He's basically saying, blessed is anyone who isn't scandalized by me. Or to put it even more directly, blessed is anyone who is not offended by me. So why would he say this about John the Baptist and about those who were gathered there. And with John the Baptist, we, we, we're not really sure. 
Many scholars believe, and I think this is reasonable and fair, that John in his expectations of Messiah was beginning to doubt if Jesus truly was the Messiah because Jesus wasn't doing things the way he thought they should be done. And in fairness to John, those passages that, those passages that Jesus reached back to in his response to John, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61, all of those passages don't just talk about those miraculous things that Messiah will do when he's bringing God's kingdom. They also talk about judgment, all of them, either preceding those verses or after those verses. And where in Jesus' response was the judgment? And the answer was nowhere in the answer that he gave John. Now, in fairness, if you fast forward beyond this passage where we're at, what follows this passage is Jesus pronouncing judgment on these very cities of Galilee that saw the preponderance of these miracles that he's describing, and yet they still did not believe. So judgment was coming, but Jesus wasn't really announcing that yet. And if you think back to John the Baptist's message that he was entrusted with to prepare the way for Jesus, he was pronouncing judgment. He was saying, you need to repent. You need to turn back to God or you will be judged. That was at the heart of John's message. And yet Jesus isn't executing that yet or even talking about it presumably very much yet. And so John reasonably is wondering, are, are you the Messiah? Because where's the judgment? That, that's not being talked about yet. And it's not happening yet. And so Jesus presumably was not meeting John's expectations, but the same is true for the people who were hearing him. Let's take this for a test drive for a minute, just in our culture. Is Jesus offensive to our culture? Seriously? Jesus is profoundly exclusive. He is not a path to God. He is not a way to God. Jesus unequivocally says over and over again, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. Jesus is not a path to God. He is not a way to God. He is God. He is the path to God. He is the only way to God. That was offensive then. That is profoundly offensive in our culture now. But there's more. Jesus is profoundly inclusive and not in the way our culture would expect it. Jesus says, the word of God declares that all of us need him, that all of us are sinful, broken people left to ourselves. We all start out in the same place and therefore you can't be good enough. Good is not good enough. You need a savior. This is more than changing your behavior. You need the heart the core of you changed from the inside out. You need Jesus. That is offensive to people because we want to figure things out on our own. And speaking of which, Jesus is also remarkably intolerant, which is a cardinal sin in our culture, one of the greatest sins in our culture because our culture says you define what is right and wrong. And Jesus says God defines what is right and wrong. And by way of example, one of the many things where this is expressed in sexuality, God's word declared and has always declared throughout history that the only God-approved, God-ordained, God-blessed, sexualized relationship is between one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for life. And every other expression of sexuality that falls outside of that is broken and ultimately sinful. 
talk about offensive to our culture. Do we need to go on? Jesus says there really is a hell. In fact, he does that at the end of this passage. And people who persistently, consistently slap his hand of grace and truth away, who say, I don't need you. I'm going to live life on my own. Thank you very much. They will get chance after chance after chance, but at some point there will come an end to those chances. And they will be held accountable for those choices. And yes, they will be judged. And although it breaks the heart of God, they will be condemned because of their choices. That is offensive. When we begin to think about Jesus' response to John the Baptist in that context, it begins to make a lot of sense. There's plenty to be offended about Jesus, but to make sure that people understand what's at play here, Jesus will now go on to make sure they understand who John's identity is is and who he is because presumably some of them may have been doubting John really was Elijah the spirit of Elijah come because here he is doubting Jesus right so he sets the word straight here and says what did you go out into the wilderness to see a reed swayed by the wind and John the Baptist was anything but a weed being swayed by the wind he wasn't fickle he wasn't faithless he was very direct and very truthful and 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 very true to what God had called him to do to pave the way for the Messiah. And so he asks another question, again, that is expecting a no. Did you expect to see one in fine clothes? John the Baptist was absolutely the opposite of that. His clothing is described to us in the scripture because he lived a profoundly deliberate, simple life, an aesthetic life. So no, we weren't expecting that. And then he says, okay, well, would you expect to go see a prophet? And then he goes on to give this incredible endorsement of John's identity. He is the Elijah who was to come. Now, in fairness to the confusion, in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist is asked directly by some of the religious leaders, are you Elijah? And he says, no, because he wasn't. He wasn't literally Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah. He came with Elijah's message. There's only been one Elijah. John the Baptist, different than Elijah, but the fulfiller of the message that was given to Elijah and that the Old Testament ends with. And so Jesus very deliberately defines who John the Baptist is because John was not meeting the people's expectations. And once again, neither was Jesus. And Jesus confronts them about that. And he compares them to children. Now, as you'll see in the passage where we'll go next week, Jesus will compare us to children, and it will be a good and necessary comparison. This is not a positive comparison. And he talks about kids playing in the marketplace. This reminds me of, um, you know, what my childhood was like to some degree. When I was in second through fifth grade, I lived in Bend in, uh, in the high desert. And if I could take our life and our church and all of you with me and move us to the high desert and to Bend, I would do that. I loved living there. It's a fantastic place to grow up. And one of the great things that made it so special for us was our house and our gate opened onto this baseball field where I learned how to play baseball and to this playground. And so when we wanted something to do, we'd literally go out our back gate, go about a thousand yards to this playground. There were always kids in the neighborhood there and there were always kids to play with. And so we'd, you know, we'd play all sorts of games and play on the equipment and stuff. But inevitably, someone wanted to play some kind of game like hide-and-go-seek or whatever, and so we'd circle up to play this game. And if there were kids who did not get their way, they would get all huffy 
and march off and not play. In fact, I was guilty of that. When things didn't go my way, I would just go back home out of protest and out of pouting. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're like a bunch of pouty kids because in these open-air markets, parents would come and do their shopping and, um, you know, buy what they needed. And there's many of these markets around the world today. There's nothing for the kids to do, so the kids would circle up and they would begin to play. And that's what he's describing here is this playground scene of kids who aren't getting their way, so they march off in a huff and pout. And he said, that's basically what you're doing because I'm not meeting your expectations and unapologetically so, because this is who I am. And my friends, I think this is something fundamental for us in this passage, is following Jesus is a lifetime process of learning to align our expectations with His. One of the many things that I learned from my friend Jay McKinney over these last several months was this very reality. I was privileged to be able to see Jay a number of times these last 10 months before he went home to be with the Lord. And I sat with him during those times when he would be crying, not just because of his pain and suffering, but because of his struggle and confusion as to, God, why do you still have me here? Why am I still here? When he got sent home, Last year, at the beginning of the year, he was told he had just a number of weeks to live, and here he was months later, still here. But I also saw him model and teach me and everyone who was watching his life how to live every day to the fullest. I saw him do battle with that confusion and doubt and discouragement, and I saw him purposely, over and over again, align his expectations with God. Okay, God, you have me here. So I'm gonna be faithful to you with whatever that looks like. I'm gonna live life fully as long as I can, as best I can until you take me home to pee with you. My friends, that is a life lesson that I will take with me now for the rest of my life because my friend modeled that to me in the midst of profound suffering. And that is a lifelong process that we embark on when we follow Jesus. Because so often, not all the time, but often, our doubt, our discouragement, our struggles, even our frustration or anger with God is because we put him on the hook for things he never promised to do. We put expectations on him that he never promised to fulfill, which begs the necessary and fundamental question that we will ask, quite frankly, our entire life here on this earth as we try to follow him is, what do you promise me? What should I expect of you? I mean, some of you are right there this morning, and understandably so. Some of you desperately want to be married. You're tired of being single, and you want to be married, and again, legitimately so. And that is a heartache and a struggle for you. Some of you want to be reconciled to this relationship, and it's not working out. It's not playing out the way you've intended. Some of you want this career, and it just seems to be out of reach. You can't seem to get there. You're in this job, but you really want that job, and you're unhappy, and it's difficult. And some of you, you know, we could just go on and on, couldn't we, of these reasonable expectations we have. But then we throw those on to God. We apply those to God. And when we don't get our way with those, then we get angry with them and disappointed with them when he didn't necessarily promise us those things. So, well, what does he promise us? Well, we'll look at one of those promises next week. He promises us rest. Rest in a way that transcends vacations 
and days off and holidays that's far more enduring, far more sustainable than those kinds of things. And yes, there is a place for vacation. There is a place for holidays. There is a place for days off. But there is a rhythm of rest that he promises us that is ours to have. And we'll look at that next week. But part of this journey of following Jesus is aligning our expectations with his. And then when we do that, it enables us to live wisely and rightly. Look what he goes on to say. Because you don't know who I am, because you don't really understand who John is, you're coming to the wrong conclusions. And these are almost laughable. John is fulfilling what God has called him to do and being the spirit of Elijah and what he says and and preparing the way for the Messiah. And people were looking at that and going, well, clearly he has a demon because of how he lives and what he says. They look at Jesus and because, again, of who Jesus is, rather than quarantining himself from sinners, he actually goes to sinners and looks to redeem and restore and rehabilitate them because he's the good doctor. And so they say, probably in reference to the party we looked at a couple weeks ago with Matthew, when Matthew became a Jesus follower, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He eats too much, he drinks too much, and by the way, he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors, and that's half true. He is a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and reasonably so, because he's calling people out of brokenness into wholeness, just like us. And then this amazing statement, wisdom is proved right by her deeds, and in other translations, wisdom is proved right by her actions. You see, part of following Jesus is living wisely. And what enables you to do that is not only aligning your expectations with his, but fundamental to that is recognizing who he is. Are you living wisely by the choices you're making? By the direction your life is going? Some of you aren't. And this is why. Because you've reduced Jesus to being a really good teacher. He's a great teacher, but that's all he is. Or you've reduced Jesus to a great example. Well, he's, yeah, he's just, he's amazing and he's great and I'm a fan, but I'm not really a follower, honestly, in my day-to-day life choices. Or you've reduced Jesus to a genie where his every desire, and I'm overstating this to make the point, but his very purpose is to give you whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. And that's not who he is either. He's God. He wants you to follow him on his terms and not yours. And my friends, when you and I do that, that is the path to blessing. The path to blessing is living life on his terms because that's what he wants to do. That is his heart as he wants to bless your life. And living wisely allows him to do that. So now as our worship team comes and we prepare to respond together to what we've heard from God's word, I'm going to ask you once again to just bow your head with me wherever you're at, however you're watching or listening to this. Close your eyes if you can. And I want to prepare our hearts to respond now in music worship. So with your eyes closed, your head bow with me. Is there something that is discouraging you? that is causing you to doubt God in some way. 
Will you name that and take that to him now? Tell him. Tell him what it is. What does it mean for you to align your expectations with his this morning? Where do you need to renew your trust in him? Will you tell him? Lord, you know this, but we declare it. We own it. We need your help to follow you, to come to you authentically and openly, that when we're doubting or discouraged or hurting, to bring that to you. And Lord, we need your help to renew our trust in you, to align our expectations with yours, to get those expectations from your word, from the spirit-led wisdom of your people. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe all over again. If there's someone who's listening or watching this who isn't quite sure that they've made that defining moment choice to follow you as their Lord and Savior, would they choose to do that right now by telling you they want to? Lord, for those of us who do know and love and follow you, would you help us once again, to commit ourselves to believing you, taking you at your, your word, trusting your word. And as we prepare to sing and listen to this song, help us to believe you all over again for what that means. And we thank you that you're here with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, thank you for the truth of what we have just sung, that you are always faithful, that you are good, that you are enough for us. And Lord, with all those realities in mind, we renew our prayers, we sustain our prayers for Caitlin and Ella Grace and Matt and Rhonda, for the Patrick and Fisher families. God, there's so much with this we don't understand. But what we do understand and know is that you are faithful, you are good, you are sufficient for all of us. And so, God, we pray that that would be true. And we know that it is because you are true and your word is true. So once again, we commit these families, we commit ourselves to you. And we ask this in your powerful name. Amen. And now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So now go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.